Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode in her space is to unearth those points of decision making so we can be in choice and respond versus just reacting. Because these stories, you talked about this coming from your upbringing. So you've been experienced, you've been playing out this storyline your entire life. So it has become part of your identity, right? And so what we did was we went in and we looked at how you were using your voice. And we looked at... Welcome to Her Space a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. All right, ladies, today we have a very special guest. We've invited my executive coach, Gurian Tai, to join us in her space. For the past eight months, Gurian has empowered me with tools to show up more powerfully in my work life and personal life, and I'm super excited to share her and her gifts with you. Gurian Tai is an experienced executive coach, workshop leader, author, and communications strategist. She's also the founder and CEO of Forage, that's courage with an F, Gurian has served as the head of speaker development at Jolt, partner of Speakeasy Strategies, a strategic communication advisory firm where she led influencer relations and messaging and positioning. And prior to that, she was the chief culture officer at Highwire PR. Welcome to the show, Gurian. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. And now we're going to step into our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from Gurian herself. Forage is courage, spelled with an F. We believe your fear is the gateway to your courage. For those of y'all who are listening out there, please know that I had to say that word multiple times <laughs> to get it. And part of that, I think, kind of speaks to this quote, speaks to what you're saying about having the courage to kind of step into fear. When I look at that word, I there was some hesitation. There was like a little bit of fear there of like, I've never seen this word. How do I pronounce this word? And I'm speaking to the person who came up with this quote. I need to actually make, get this right. That's just my quick take. So talk to us a little bit about how you came up with this. Yeah. So it was actually about five years ago, I sat down with the belief that you can teach empathy. And it certainly is more innate for some people. Uh, but I do think it's teachable. And so I sat down to create a model as to how you would do it. And it was empathy that actually led me to fear. So if you think about it, fear has been used by governments, businesses, religions, you name it to divide people. 
and communities are based in commonalities. So what my work is showing me is there's about seven basal fears that human beings have, but instead of being united by these, they've been used to divide us. So in order to access empathy, the entryway in is fear. And then on a micro level, um, it's what enables us to expand into our whole self. So, I, so before we dive into the meat of the conversation, right, today we're going to talk about fear. We're also going to sprinkle in a little bit of uh, best practices around conversations and communication because we do have an expert on the topic here. So we, we might as well ask some of those questions. Um, I would love to just kind of go around and, you know, us all answer, like, what is something that you can think of that you may have been very fearful about, whether or not you've overcome it, or it could be something you're still struggling with now. But I have really been thinking about this since I knew that we were going to talk about fear. And I'm like, what have I been really fearful about in life in general? And so I'll share what came up for me. And then I'd love to just kind of get your your perspective. So for me, public speaking, believe it or not, was something that caused so much fear ever since I was little. But my family kind of pushed me to go up and, you know, in front of the church and speak. And I would be so afraid every single time. My throat would lock up. I would sound like I was about to cry because I was. <laughs> I would have like a frog in my throat and I would shake and speak very, very fast. And so that was one of the things that has always been like a big fear for me. There are a number of things that come up for me. Um, the public speaking thing is one that easily comes up. And, you know, I teach and as a psychologist, I present at conferences and am constantly speaking in front of people. Uh, and so that is something that I'm constantly working on. But in general, I think one of my biggest fears is not leaving a good impact. So not walking away from a space, having left it better than when I first entered it. I actually can really relate to that. I think mine and what started when I started on this journey, I felt very plagued with purpose. I just didn't know what my purpose was. Mm -hmm. But underneath that was that fear of what if I'm not living my life to its fullest? What if I'm not having the impact that I'm meant to have here? So that that one very much resonates with me. And Karine, you've built a company around embracing fear, and you state that fear is one of our greatest teachers. What actually prompted you to dive into that place? Like you talked a bit about empathy and being in that space, but like where were you at in your life when you decided, you know what, I really want to focus on fear and, and how it impacts us and how people show up with fear? Yeah, so it kind of, it showed itself to me versus I found it as being the answer and then tried to figure out how. So at that time in my life, I had just left my marriage um, and I had left my job and I was under the notion that in space is the new answer. In space is space. And it was actually quite a rabbit hole of, I would say, challenging times that I had to go through. And it was in there. That's where I actually made the introduction to my own fears and to see what benefits they had. So if you think about it, we could all be scared of everything, but we're not. We tend to be scared of certain things. So public speaking, for whatever reason, that doesn't scare me. But what our fear is actually showing us is where we want to expand. So people that may have a really spiritual practice or in tune with their intuition, they might be getting those messages about growth, about living on purpose. For those that don't have that practice in place, 
your fear is actually showing you where you want to grow. And if you think about it, it's your fear that's showing you this because from a neuroscience perspective, your fear is built to actually protect you from unknowns, from all of these things. So it would be your fear that would say, no, don't go there because I don't know how to protect you there. I know how to protect you here. So it's that same voice that's also protecting you from which knows what's on the other side of it. Whoa, that was a lot. That was amazing. I literally got chills when you were just speaking then. Whoa, okay. It made so much sense to me. Mm -hmm. Like once you started explaining, I mean, I was with you. And then when you went into the neuroscience perspective of, yeah, it, it protect, it's protecting you. I was like, yeah, like that's what our brains, that's what our bodies are always wired to do is to engage in certain behaviors, whether they appear healthy or not to protect us. And that, and so then that, that makes so much sense to me. I even think about when you are trying to, when you're trying to do something new and, or maybe it's someone that you love, they're doing something that's scary to you. It's, I, I, I use that example because I think it's easier for us to use something that's outside of ourselves instead of the conversation that we have inside and the story we're telling ourselves. But if you, if your child, let's say, wants to go far away to school, 3000 miles away, and you're like, well, I've never been to that place. Well, I don't want you to go because I want to protect you. That's kind of what we're doing to ourselves when we're fearful. So I want to talk about how do we get to the other side? Because I feel like the magic happens on the other side of fear, right? So how do we get to that place? And what do we have to do internally? Because it sounds like there's some internal work that needs to take place in order for us to move past the fear and do what we've come here to do. Right. And the first place I want to start is actually, people talk about conquering fear, moving past fear. And to me, fear is actually a beautiful thing. So rather than conquering or being fearless, it's about starting a relationship of how to be with your fear. If we see it as information, then it's something that we don't have to be scared of. There doesn't need to be a negative, positive, good, bad, light, dark. It's information. So I sit with my fear. Yes. So I have to get comfortable with my fear. Yes. So that thing that really is making me uncomfortable, that's causing like the panic attacks and causing the stress, I have to learn to sit with it. Yes. And I'm going to tell you how to do that. Okay. So one, <laughs> one, one way, of course, there's curiosity. Curiosity. I continue to come back to curiosity. But what what will sound surprising is uh, the way into your fear is actually gratitude. And what I mean by that is I work with a lot of people. Anxiety comes up frequently. A lot of people experience anxiety, right? And so how would one be grateful for their anxiety? Do you guys have any thoughts? The only thing that comes to mind for me is like maybe thanking your body for giving you a sign that something is happening. Yeah. And that's a good one. That's definitely worthy. People that are anxious tend to also be incredibly detail-oriented. They tend to be incredibly thoughtful. They're probably compassionate because they're aware of what other people might be going through. So you see, and we could keep going, but you see what I'm, when you start to appreciate what this air quote negative attribute has brought you, that's actually helped define who you are and define some of your strong attributes then it eases the ability to begin to sit with that fear. Okay. So how do I 
find that gratitude? Like what are like, like the baby steps for me to like find that gratitude? Also, can we put in a real life example too, just in case someone's listening and they're like, this, this sounds great. It's theoretical. But if we were to like, whether it's one of our fears. I was actually just going to say, oh, let's good. go there. Okay, perfect. Let's perfect. Go. There we go. Yeah. So Dom, are you willing to go there with me? Sure. Okay. So then um, give me a fear that you have. We'll go with the public speaking example. But that wasn't yours. And see how, <laughs> and see how, and see how. And so I did that. I, I can't even refer, like I did that intentionally, right? <laughs> because sometimes people who are anxious, when they have something that they are trying to work on, they might not be ready yet. And so they'll avoid it and they'll bring in other things mm-hmm. to not address the real thing, right? So now if we do dive back into the example that I gave, the example that I gave, if my memory serves me right, because sometimes my short-term memory gets me. <laughs> I feel you on that. <laughs> was a fear of not leaving a good impact. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how has that fear of not leaving a good impact served you? That fear has stopped me from following through, taking action steps on ideas that I know could potentially leave a good impact. So not what it stopped you from. Okay. How has that fear served you? How has it benefited you? I can give you an example if you need one. Go for it. Okay. So has it contributed to your thoughtfulness in preparation? Yes. Has it contributed to your passion for wanting to have an impact? Yes. Has it contributed to your curiosity in opening new doors and how you can expand how you can make an impact? Eventually it does. Initially, it may stop me. Okay. So you give me some examples of how else it may have served you. It has forced me to be in scenarios, um, be in environments that even if I don't necessarily feel comfortable in them, I don't like the opposite thought of not leaving a good impact. And if I know that this uncomfortable situation is going to be the thing that helps me leave a good impact, I'm going to sit with the discomfort. So would you say maybe it's even helped you live on purpose? If I really think about it, yeah. Seems like a pretty worthy gift to me. When you frame it like that, yeah. Yeah, and I don't want to take the whole session going through, but it's an example. uh, And that's what the power of reframing, right? Mm -hmm. So we can be victim to our fears, or we can see what information is in there and then what we want to keep, what we are, how we are, who we are because of those. And then with that strength, See, I see fear and courage as being the same thing. It's just opposite ends of one spectrum. So fear, what what fear is preventing you from is the same thing that you apply your courage to, right? So you take that information from your fear, you connect with what's true, what's powerful and what served you, and then you're in a stronger place to move into your courage. Now I have a trickier example. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you guys test the system let's do I it. do on, I do let's do it because I think about like, like I have a fear of falling so 
It's more like more like a phobia, I guess, because it, it is kind of irrational. I, I own that. But what it does is it stops me from like taking escalators or like, well, let me not say it stops me. But what happens is, is that I will be at an escalator and I'll hesitate and like the going down or I'll look at a flight of stairs and I'll take my time. Like I'll take like little baby steps. And so when I think about like, if someone has a fear, like kind of like that, how do we find gratitude in that fear? Because right now what comes up for me is ain't nothing to be grateful for when I'm looking at this escalator (laughs) and I'm thinking about, oh, I might, what if I fall down these escalator, this Mm -hmm. escalator and I create this scene, this embarrassing scene that everyone sees. And, and so then my mind starts going to all those places. And so then that's the way another type of fear that may show up. Sure. And in this, I mean, a lot of these, there's layers of complication, right? So this might take time to get into, but the first question, did you, do you have a core memory of falling? I have quite a few. Quite a few. Okay. Okay. So to me, it's actually what's beneath that. So there's something that's triggered, whether it's your safety, whether it's your, there's control or lack thereof. So there's something actually beneath the falling that that's the one that we would want to go into and look at what's been triggered there that now anything associated with that triggers that underlying fear. And it's that fear that we would then be working with, um, which we can do if you guys want to do. Um, it's up to you. So really quickly, I want to break. This is so, so powerful. Lady, as you listen, I hope you're using these questions and the conversation for your own life and the things that you're feeling fearful about. What I want to jump into really quickly is how powerful it is to reframe our thinking. I know when I look at like, oh, oh. We have tissues here. I just felt like I might have a moment when I look at um when I think about the things that I've been through in life and the things that I've overcome and the things that I'm doing now. Like I said, public speaking was a big fear for me and I'm a public speaker now. And it's just like, whoa. But I think about how I literally reframed my thinking and I reframed my mind and the different, I want to say, connections that were there and had to break up with the things that no longer served me. But we did an activity in the beginning of the year. And I believe that one of the fears I shared with you was around fear of um, just showing up fully and like walking in my power because of the upbringing I had and the things that I had been through. That was something I was just fearful about. And so we dug in and I remember I used to beat myself up about being, you know, I thought I always called myself timid and I wasn't, you know, I didn't speak up a lot. And I, you did an activity where we reframed those things and thought about how they served me. Do you remember that, Garan? Can you talk a little bit about that and how that relates to fear and kind of, can we circle back around on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, similarly, it's, so what we did was we went to the underlying source of that, Mm -hmm. right? And that was based both on experiences that you had and then going back to the neuroscience What happens with our brains is um, when we react the same way in a similar circumstance over and over again, what was just firing down a neural pathway all of a sudden creates a super highway. And then we lose the point to actually realize that we have a decision point there. We just start reacting, reacting, reacting. And so part of this reframing, part of this stepping back is to unearth those points of decision making so we can be in choice and respond versus just reacting. Because these stories, you talked about this coming from your upbringing. So you've been experienced, you've been playing out this storyline your entire life. So it has become part of your identity, 
right? And so what we did was we went in and we looked at how you were using your voice. And we looked at how, how, how that timidness was also connected you to your authenticity. It connected you to your integrity. It connected you to the power of your own truth. And then you realized that you actually had been communicating it. You were doing it in a blog. You were doing it in your writing. You were doing it on stage. But because we don't take the time to pause, honor, and be grateful for what we're doing, our mind still holds on to this previous form of identity and story, which is actually not even what we are today. Which is so mind-blowing when you think about the fact that you're going from A to B Right. This I'm, I'm using A to B as the neuro, the, the the pathway, right, that your brain is making. You're so used to going from A to B because you've done that in your childhood. You've done it all these years. And even when you start to go to, from A to C, you still think A to B because that's so natural to you. So I was like, oh, I'm so timid. And you were like, wait, but Terry, uh, you weren't timid here. You weren't you, you spoke up here. And even though I'm fearful when I speak up and have to advocate for myself, I do it. So it's like you're actually not timid. So why are we still using that? So let's look at how did it be? How did it serve you? How did being timid serve you in the environment you grew up in? And now let's leave that there and let's now recreate what we actually are doing, what we want to be. Right. So that is like Whoa, mind blowing. Yeah, well, if you think about our self critics are on loop. They are running on loop. They do the best job of anybody at their jobs, <laughs> right? And how often do you sit down and write your proud list? How often does one honor who they are today? And so who still gets a big role? Your self critic, defining who you are when it's not reflective of who you are. When you're a top achiever or when you're someone who is used to pursuing things, right, pursuing success, that oftentimes it's easy for us to hang on to that negative thing because we're trying to figure out, okay, if I'm going to be, I'm trying to reach goal A and I've done all the things along the way, if I've missed one, two, three, then I need to figure out how I need to go back and fix one, two, three to make sure I get to A. And that feeds into that perfectionism that comes along with success. Well, and one other piece that I wanted to connect the thread that you both mentioned, um, Dom, about always wanting to have an impact where you are, Terry, about public speaking. In both cases, your why was bigger than I. And what I mean by that is you were both in service of something, a message that you wanted to deliver, the betterment of mental health, whatever it was, there was something larger than I. And so when we know what we're in service of, it's a great fear diminisher as well. For that I voice of why me, anything like that, when what you're doing it for is more important, then you can connect to the strong attributes of why you're doing it. That makes sense. Right. That makes sense. I'm like, oh, okay. That, that, oh, this <laughs> it's like it's coming the purpose. Together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, when you you work with so many people, right? And when you think about the people that they come to the realization and they're like, okay, I get it. I'm fearful about this thing. I know that I probably need to reframe my thinking and do some personal work. What's the thing that stops people from actually moving with the fear, like feel, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, what's stopping people from doing that in your experience? You know, I find it to be um, a combination of a number of systems, familial, cultural, societal, uh, religious, but we are trained and taught from such a young age to be in boxes. 
So going back to like neuropathways and superhighways, everything we're taught is to fit in, is to look like this, is to sound like this. And so being our true authentic selves, it can't look like anybody else. That's, that's unraveling. That's until we become comfortable in the contentment of our authentic selves, that's going to be uncomfortable. And so it's, I'm mean, talk about a reframe, but I work with making uncomfortable the new comfortable for people. Because where does growth happen? Where does transformation happen? Tend to be when you're uncomfortable, right? So again, why do we put this negative stigma on uncomfortable, right? If that's where the magic happens, why is that a bad negative place to be? That and outside the box. It's like anything that's unconventional, anything that people cannot put in a box or define. It's like, what is that? Oh, it's wrong. We got to be in this way. And I think that's such a good point. We learn so many things as kids, even though it may be the wrong thing, right? It's like you, you're, you, you've believed this for so long that when you cut, like, I remember when I learned that Santa Claus wasn't real as a kid, my parents, you know, they revealed it at one point and it was devastating because it's like, I believe this all these years. So what does it mean now? What's the new thing for me to go to now that this thing that I've held on with for dear life is no longer there? What, what'd you find? <laughs> well, <laughs> something much better. I could make my own money and buy my own gifts. <laughs> I'm Santa Claus. Right, right. You're your own Santa Claus. Exactly. And so as I've been listening, one of the things that keeps resonating with me is that this feels very similar to therapy from talking about reframing. And then, I mean, you immediately had me pulled in when we were talking about like neuroscience pathways. I was like, oh, (laughs) when you're working with, with your clients, how do you differentiate for them between the work you're doing with coaching them versus therapy and maybe making that recommendation that maybe they need to transition into therapy? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I can't say there's a steadfast rule. It's very case by case and independent. I am not a clinical therapist. I am not a psychiatrist. I do not prescribe drugs. Um, so for me, it's a very open conversation. I mean, we are in a dialogue as to whether our work is, is helping. How are they sleeping? How is their anxiety level? How is the, how does their body feel? How is tension? Um, if it seems like something that we can't get to in the coaching environment, then absolutely. I work with people who also see a therapist who also, I mean, so it's not, it's not an either or. I'm an active part of my interaction. I'm actively probing my clients. Um, in, in a way, Terry, you can speak to it, um, in a way that's helping to drive their curiosity um, to do their own work, but it does feel a little different than therapy. And so I do think they can be complementary, or in some cases, if I'm doing an intro call with somebody and it's clear that like this is not, this is not work that I can do, then I will refer them to a clinical therapist that they can work with. And I've definitely done both at the same time. So I've done the executive coaching and therapy at the same time. And I think they're a good complement to and for each other. Um, they can be, but I totally understand what you mean around, you know, I think in either scenario, it really, it, it, the, the ball is in your court, lady. Like whatever, 
whatever advice you get, whatever direction you get, it's all up to what are you going to do with it, right? I feel like in so many instances, we get new information. We're like, oh, okay, yeah, I know how to do this now. Okay, well, now what? What are you going to, how are you going to take action and implement the things that you've learned so that you can get to the place that you want to be, right? Whether it's, um, I don't want to say overcoming fear, but moving with the fear and, and getting to that place. So I know we said we talk a bit about communication and we've had some just people message us and ask us about talking about certain topics. And there are a few topics that come to mind that I would love to just get your insight on that can hopefully give the listener some nuggets they can take with them in their daily life. I think boundaries with in-laws is always a popular one. Mm -hmm. Um, Communicating about something that might be annoying or unfulfilling that your partner might be doing. And you're like, how do I have this conversation? And maybe if you have like toxic parents, I feel like that's another one that has come up. And so we'll just kind of start with boundaries um, and maybe just some general best practices on where do you even begin when it comes to communicating with your partner around your in-laws? Like, I know I have my personal best practice on things like that, but I'd love to hear how you coach folks through those conversations. Yeah. So um, first, the best place is always to start with curiosity. So if it's your in-laws and this is your partner, understand their experience of it. They may not even have thought of their experience of it because like we were just talking about, we go through life with things that we don't question it. It just is what it is, which does not mean it has to be that way. Can you say that one more time? That was powerful. (laughs) We go through life thinking that it is what it is, but it doesn't have to be that way. And curiosity, when when you pose a question to something, change is likely going to happen. So when you say get curious, I know what that means from our experiences. And I've used that in my life, which has been so powerful. Oh, my goodness. Can you give examples of what does it look like for you to maybe have a conversation with your partner and get curious about what's happening with the in-laws, whether it's like boundaries or they're like intruding? How do you get curious? What does that look like? Yeah, well, I mean, first, before you go in, I would think about what elements you do. We always want to go in recognizing what's working right? We don't want to just go in putting somebody on the defense. So first think about what it is that you appreciate, what you would even want more of. Because if you're pointing at something and saying this, this isn't working, um, you want to be able to at least open a conversation around what we could develop more of, right? In the case of of boundaries for an in-law, it can be tricky because it's family and wherever family is concerned, it's everything is triggered to the nth degree. Right. Um, And so being mindful of that, just get curious. So I would ask my partner, how do you feel about the level of interaction, about the unexpected phone calls, about the showing up on our doorstep? Not in this tone, but really, really want to understand, like, is this something that they like? Is it something that they enjoy? Is it something? Was this just the way that it was? What if in your ideal scenario, it could be different? Without even entertaining the idea of having the conversation with the in-laws yet, but just between the two of you, what, what does an ideal scenario look like? What does it feel like? First, first, just opening the door to what's possible because the chances of your partner having looked at and realizing what might be obligation, what might just be habitual or what might be wants. Those are three, I mean, there's, and those are just three of multiple categories that you could start to go into. And if they feel supported, which curiosity tends to support versus shame or blame or 
or anything negative, um, that's a much more safe space. What you need is a safe environment to have the conversation. That sounds key. And I do want to add, if you are using these tools in your life, which I hope you are, because this is valuable information Grant's sharing right now, you need to invest in a notepad or some kind of note-taking device. Because if you think about, we talked about these neuro, neuro pathways, okay, neural pathways that are um, being shaped right in your life. And it's, it's been this way for so long. So anything, any change that's going to happen, it's going to take time. It's going to be a process. And so I personally, I keep a notebook of all session notes and what I'm working on, what goals are, because I know that it's more about the marathon and not a sprint. It's not like you're going to have a conversation with your partner. It's like, oh, this family history of, you know, 35 years they've had is going to change drastically. No, it's going to take time. So take notes and you got to kind of be strategic about all of this as well. And remember that just because something has always been a certain way doesn't mean it has to stay that way. And when you get this journal or this note-taking device, it's better if you're actually writing it down because as we're talking about creating those neural pathways, the thing that will solidify those memories and really create that those neural connections is writing it down versus typing it. That's one thing we know we've seen research has proven in academia is that students do better in terms of learning new material when they write it down. Thank you, Dom. I always I felt like writing. I was going to say, I always felt like writing was, felt better for me, but I never knew there was research to back that up. So yes. thank you very much. All right. <laughs> Write, don't type. There. Oh, I love it. New tagline. <laughs> <laughs> and one other, and thank you for, for pushing me on curiosity. There's a difference between listening to speak versus listening to listen. And so when you engage with your partner, really come from a place of wanting to understand. Because it's from there that you guys can create a shared agenda. You'll have what's important to you and he or she, they may have what's important to them. And it's together that you can create a new way forward. And that really begins with listening to listen. So as we're continuing this conversation with our partners, what if it's something that they do that annoys us? So it's not necessarily their in-laws, although the in-laws might annoy us, right? But it's like they're... Something small or maybe something large, but it's something that they're doing on a day to day that really annoys us or really leaves us feeling unfulfilled. How do we communicate that? So I would say things that annoy us or things that make us unfulfilled are two slightly different categories. But let's start with with the annoys piece. So if something is annoying to us, uh, it is actually more indicative to what's going on for us <laughs> than it is for the person that might be annoying us. Ouch. So <laughs> I know, lady, I wish it was an easy answer of point the finger and blame. But um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's, it's there's definitely something that's happening inside of us. And in that case, something is being triggered. So again, get curious, only this time, bring your curiosity inside. So what is, maybe it's a value of yours that's being triggered. Maybe it's a passion of yours that's that's doesn't have a, maybe it's something that's true for you that's getting shut down, but it actually has to do with you and not this person. So first connecting to what it is, are you angry? And by the way, angry isn't a bad emotion. Angry, again, not negative. It's how you express anger that might become, but you, so what are you feeling? 
Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling like there is a feeling beneath that annoyance that so the annoyance says, get curious. The next question is, what am I feeling? Underneath that feeling is why you're feeling that way, right? And so that's where you can get to the emotion or the truth underneath the emotion. And then you might be able to begin to have a conversation when you know what you're having the conversation about, because when you don't wash that dish might not be what's actually what's what's what the depth is about there, right? So you can put a Band-Aid on it, but are you really impacting the change that you're hoping for? Probably not. Ooh. Korean's <laughs> over here preaching. All right. That was that was good. <laughs> that really was a good one. So okay, it's it's not you, it's me. Seriously. Mm-hmm. It's me. <laughs> like legit. Like like yeah, real talk. I have to go inward. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I've had quite a few conversations and I've had my own personal experiences um, with non-traditional parent relationships. And so the the situations that I hear about now that I'd love to for us to address, because I know lots of people we know are dealing with this, is when you have a parent or parents that either they're kind of behaving badly, right? So whether that's they're being toxic, they're not being supportive, they're um they're just not meeting you on a level playing field to have you know, adult interactions, I want to say, um, how do you deal with situations like that? And again, I mean, I think it's case by case, it's going to be different. Um, but the first thing is, let's, let's start with a theme here. So get curious as for you, what's being triggered? What, what do you feel loss around? What is not being fulfilled for you? Whether or not those things are able to be met by this person is another conversation. But what you can do is determine what's important to you that's not being met. So to give you a quick example, because this is our, I can already tell us we're getting in deep there. So I'll give you an example. A friend, um, I won't say their name, obviously, but a friend is having a bad relationship with his dad. And the situation, just to kind of give you the high level, he came out years ago and his dad was like totally like disowned him and he's very just mean and nasty to him. And the friend really wants like love, affection. He's looking for all of these things that his dad is not providing. And so that's kind of, that'll give us a bit more, I guess, context. Okay. On. okay. So the first thing I would have him do is look at what are those things that he's missing? Okay. So that's love. It's affection. Maybe it's acceptance. Maybe it's um, safety. Maybe it's so all of those elements, what this opportunity is doing for him is showing him what's important to him. Those might be things he can start to build within. And those are things that he wants in his life. So whether they not, they come from his traditional father, maybe they come from other people, which could be family members. It could be friends. It could be people he hasn't met yet. But those are elements that are important to him. And so it's also just, I mean, we talk about boxes, but maybe, maybe you don't get the father love from your actual father. Maybe you get it from a peer in your workspace. Maybe you get it from somebody of a community that you belong to. A gym, you're, it, it can come from anywhere. What's important is knowing what those important attributes are, right? As far as dealing with, with his parent in this case, this is the harder work because it actually requires compassion. What his father is doing is perhaps, I would say one of two things, but A, what he's capable of, which who knows what his life experience was, who knows what his parents taught him, who knows what boxes he's falling within. And I'm sure there's some of his own fear he has, right? But since we're not working with him, what I would tell to your friend is, 
to, to be able to take a step back, to apply some compassion, maybe not for his father's benefit, but for his own benefit. And for realizing that this man is doing what he has the capacity to do. And then finding ways that he can find all those elements that are important to him other places. That is so powerful. And so outside of the box, I feel like, you know, some of us, I know there were certain, you know, familial relationships that I desired growing up, but I got them from mentors and advisors. And I sort of had this spiritual village of mine where it's like, we're not all blood related, but you're providing me with so much life and fulfillment and, and positivity that that's been, it, it's been a very important part in my journey. And so, you know, I think that's just so powerful to frame it that way and to think about it in this out of the box, you know, it's who I call my chosen family. And my chosen family has honestly been a, I mean, I could cry thinking about how grateful I am for, and boy, does it not look like what I thought it would look like. Right. That's so powerful. So don't shut ourselves off from something just because it doesn't look conventional. And it's like, well, I really want this from mom. But if, if mom doesn't have it on her shelf to give, then it's like, you know, you want eggs and you want grits and you want beans. So you might have to get that from a different place. Right. right. So that is just like on point. So Grand, you've heard our show before and you might notice that when we have guests, we have a special segment, <laughs> our special segment called. Oh, you clash it. <laughs> And because we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman and believe that it's okay to be classy and ratchet and you can be elegant and dance to strip club music if you so choose, we invite you to the OU Clatchet segment. Grand, you take on the challenge. Trepidatiously. <laughs> we got you, got you. You're stepping into that That's fear. Right. You're, you're, you're embracing it. You're having, cur- you're using courage. That's right. All right. So... Korean, which song gets you on a dance floor at the club or a party? God, I can't believe that you guys are going here. It's funny because actually fear, uh, dancing is one of my greatest fears. So I actually push myself to do it. Um, what's that song by Missy Elliott that I'm totally blanking on the name of right now? Um, what's the, oh, now I'm thinking, okay, Missy songs, dumb, Missy songs. Music making you lose control. Not that one. No, because that's- Get your freak on. Get your, no. now. Oh, Missy Elliott has a catalog too. Know, Let's see. Right. Uh, we got. We got. We got to stop. We got to Google and figure it's out what totally this what coming in. <laughs> Not one two step. Work it. It's old, Missy Elliott. The rain or Hot Boys? Oh, One Minute Man. One Minute Man. All right, we'll have to. All right, let me come up with a different okay. one. Guys, I don't dance very it's much. Okay. If you were stepping into your fear. What would be the song that would really force you to like step into it? Well, I just did an ecstatic dance class that forced me, which was not a song, but that was the biggest. I was terrified the entire drive over there. Um, and it was incredible. The way I felt afterwards, I've never felt such peace. But on the drive, <laughs> I know what ecstatic to have you guys are you familiar no I was gonna ask what is it oh I thought you just were saying it, you had an ecstatic no, time oh okay this, tell us yeah, so, uh, there's this dance studio in the city it's called Five Rhythms 
there's no moves. It takes you through five different levels of energy, of expressions. Like you start like on the floor, super slow. Then you pick up the tempo. Then it's like all out going crazy. And then you wind back down. It's over course of an hour and a half. And there's no drinks. There's no bar, which is normally my liquid courage for dancing. <laughs> right. Um, and so you just have to feel the music and then dance your creative expression of it. It was amazing after the fact. After the fact yeah, yeah. it was like, amazing. But on the way there. Yeah, it was intense. But you did it. I did yes. It. I did it and it felt incredible. All right. So at that dance class. Or in general, when you have some courage and you're like, I'm, I'm with it, would you twerk or two-step? To be honest, I'd probably twerk. Yeah. All right. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, what's your favorite hairstyle on yourself? If you change your hair up, what do you like? Uh, top bun is how I normally roll. And I'm trying to actually wear my hair down more. Um, it's my uncomfortable place. But it's, uh, I figure I've got this huge mane for a reason. So why be top bunning it all the time? Yeah, it looks great, by the way. The color, the curls, like, I would always wear my hair like that. Awesome. We're going to switch gears just a little bit. What's the best compliment you've ever received? Okay, it was the most recent one that I remember. Um, Somebody thanked me for hearing what they didn't say, not what they said. That is powerful. As you talk about, as you spoke in the beginning of the show about empathy, I feel like that's a way that we can express empathy and that that's powerful. And it's in that when you listen to listen, you can sense what somebody isn't saying. Mm -hmm. It's a very different access point to a huge amount of vulnerability, connection and information. All right. And our last question, what's something many people don't know about you? I lead moon rituals. There are three phases to the moon. Um, The new moon, which is a beautiful time to set intentions. These are written down intentions. Thank you, Dom. The dark moon, which is a time of release of what may not be serving. And then the full moon, which is a time of gratitude when you're recognizing what chapters might be coming to a close. And it's interesting because that's a very private part of my life. And I realize that what I'm asking people to do today is exposing a lot of what is private for them. And so I wanted to share that that is something that I hold near and dear to my heart. Well, thank you for sharing that. And because of you, I did my own, my first, um, what is it, new, I think it was the new moon ritual. And that was pretty, pretty amazing when you think about the universe and, and how powerful that can be when you set intentions around that. So that might be something we dive into in another episode. Look forward to it, ladies. <laughs> awesome. Well, Gabriel, we thank you so much for joining us here and sharing your insight and giving our listeners so many nuggets. We already know that they probably are going to have their notepads out, taking notes on everything you've shared. And so we'd love to know where can they find you online? Yeah. So my website is Forage, which is courage with an F. Dot .io or gurian at forage.io. Gurian is G-U-R-Y-A-N. And I just want to thank Terry and Dom for having these conversations with all of you and going into topics that not many people talk about and creating the safe space to do it. So thank you both for what you do. Oh, 
Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for joining us today in Her Space. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but it is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerSpacePodcast, or check out our website at HerSpacePodcast.com. And before we meet again, repeat after me. I will not judge myself for where I'm starting. I'm making progress every day. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week, ladies.